Well, good morning to all of you, and it is good to be back here in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, after being away with our REACH team in Greece for a few days. And uh, so we had an incredible time, and I want to tell a little story about Greece, just one of the things that we encountered while we were there, as it fits into the flow of our text this morning. So go ahead and turn there. Jeremiah chapter 29 is where we are, and uh, thank you to all of you who were part of Summer Spectacular. It really is a major, major uh, sacrifice on many of your parts, the time you put into it, the effort, the energy, and I hope you have a really, really good nap this afternoon, and I hope that uh, you're also, uh, you also understand just how grateful we are here at Taylor's for your part in that, and most of all, we're grateful for what the Lord uh, did in the hearts of uh, little boys and little girls. Who knows? Who knows? Because of this week, the impact on the kingdom of God, so thank you very much for that. Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to read verses 4 and following, but let me set it up for you before Lori Birkins comes up and reads for us. If you've been walking through our reading plan over the last couple of weeks, we've been in a section of the prophets where the prophets are prophesying and, and uh, really speaking to the situation of the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And so when we come to Jeremiah 29 and where we are in our reading this week, here's what has happened, is that both kingdoms, the northern kingdom made up of the ten tribes of Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah, Israel and Judah, both of them are now going to undergo the correction and the judgment of God because... God told them way, way back in Deuteronomy when Moses, before they even crossed the promised land, they, Moses told them this, listen, if you don't obey, if you pursue and chase other gods, if there is not a sense of holiness and distinction about you, then you're going to pay a price for that. And the price will come in the form of nations who will come up against you and war against you and wipe you out and take you captive. So God told them this way, way back. So fast forward to the kingdom of God. The kingdom splits in 930 BC. Solomon is reign over the United Kingdom. It splits. And for 300 years, over 300 years, these two kingdoms have operated, and God is waiting, and God is patient, and he is long-suffering, and he sends the prophets to warn them and to tell them, listen, return to God. This is not who you're to be as a people. And eventually, God says, enough. I'm going to move in and do what I said I was going to do. And he punishes the children of the northern nation, Israel. He punished them through the, the powerful nation of Assyria. And then when Jeremiah comes on the scene many years later, he punishes the southern kingdom, Judah, through Babylon, through a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. So you read this week about Nebuchadnezzar a little bit. So here's where Jeremiah is. He is speaking and prophesying to a nation that is beginning to see the judgment of God upon him. Their time as a nation is ending. And in fact, Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he sacks the city of Jerusalem, he tears down the temple, he yanks things out of the temple, brings it back to Babylon, and he begins in waves to take captives, leaders and priests, and the king himself all the way back to Babylon. And now, as Jeremiah is watching all of this unfold, 
he writes a letter to the exiles who are there in Babylon, who are incredibly discouraged, certainly um, uncertain about what is ahead of them. And Jeremiah has a word from the Lord for these exiles who are in Babylon, for these people who are ultimately in despair because of their sin and because of what God has done. And so Jeremiah speaks a word not only to them, but to us this morning from chapter 29 and verse 4. Lori, why don't you come on up and read for us? This is Lori Birkins. Lori is married to Robert. Robert over here to our left. And she is not only a wonderful, wonderful member of our choir and has served us in so many ways here at Taylor's in the way that she communicates and speaks, she does it well, but also with the way that she serves our staff, one of our own staff members here, and we love having her, and she is a wonderful, has a wonderful heart, a wonderful professional. Lori, would you come and read Jeremiah 29? Will you stand for the reading of the word this morning as we begin in verse 4? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lori. You may be seated, and may the Lord bless the teaching and the reading of his word this morning. So one day while we were in Greece, our team got on a bus and we went over to the coast of Greece where for the day, we were going to spend ministering to a group of refugees in a little village, and it was a Kurdish village. What I mean by that is the Kurdish people are a people group throughout Turkey and Iraq and Iran and Syria and throughout the Middle East who are a very persecuted group of people. They don't have their own home because they've been persecuted for so long. But particularly now with the war in Syria that's taken place over the last few years in which there have been so many people killed. Literally hundreds of thousands of people have been killed, not only Syrians, but other people groups as well. And because of the war in Syria, it's caused all of this um, dissettlement, not only in the nation of Syria, but in Turkey and Iraq and Iran. And so you have people moving all through the Middle East and moving into Europe. In fact, I read this morning how that the leaders of European nations are going to meet this week, and one of the things on their agenda is trying to figure out how do we handle the millions of refugees who are coming into places like Athens and Rome and in Germany and in different parts of Europe. Because here's what's happening. These people are fleeing places uh, like Syria, and they're going to other nations, but because of the lack of resources that are there, they're really trying to find a new place of peace and a new place of security and a new place to raise their families. So this is what this village was. It was a Kurdish village. In fact, when we drove up, you could see the flags. There was the flag of the nation of Greece, but then there was the Kurdish flag as well. And these are refugees from this people group that they know one another. They, different generations are in 
um, places where they lived. So you had these portable shelters. And maybe one, maybe two families lived in there. I'm not exactly sure. But these generations would live in these portable shelters, and so many people were coming into this particular village that over to, the, over to the side, you had these tents that were set up. And the people would either live in these portable shelters or they'd live in these tents. And there was this large outhouse that Doctors Without Borders had uh, put there for the people to go and, and use the restroom. These are the types of conditions that were there. And they're dependent upon people to come and bring resources and come and bring food for them. And, uh, but the amazing thing is this people, this community, this village had formed its own identity to the point where it had a community shelter. That when you walked into one of these little shelters, you see the, the, the pictures of their war leaders and their generals and the flag. And this is where our people were able to, to work with the kids that were there. They did crafts with them. They shared the gospel through the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And this is where we were able to hand out the supplies to those moms and to those, uh, those ladies who were pregnant. And this is where kind of the center of the city, if you will, where they would gather for events. And so you can see this community kind of taking shape, but it was a community that did not want to be there permanently. I mean, this was just a place for them to come and to live for a while, and their hopes and their dreams were somewhere else. And when you see how they lived, you would say the same thing too. So for instance, this one guy named John, we'll call him John. He was sitting over in the tent city part of this village, if you will. And he was just sitting there, and he captured my heart. And when I began to talk to him, he was just so soft-spoken. He was so gentle. And um, his English was a lot better than my Arabic and Kurdish. I promise you that. He had broken English, and he could use an app where he would say something in Arabic or in Kurdish, and it would translate in English. And this is how we talk, and then some of the translators would come over. So we were able to communicate a little bit. But here was his story. He was just sitting there reading. And his story was he, he's a young man that wanted to be a lawyer. But because of the war, he moved from, from Syria to Iraq, and it was there that his wife and his other child was still there in Iraq, and he had fled uh, Iraq to come to Athens, and he had made his way to this little village, and he had been there about two to three months, and you can kind of get a sense of how these people live, how these refugees live, because they, they don't have much to do. They, um, they, they can read, and I was peeking inside some of these tents, and there's obviously no furniture in these tents, and it's just, um, he, he's reading out there and he, he begins sharing his story a little bit about um, his life and what he had in the past. But he says, you know, I don't want to be here. I want to go to Germany. And the reason he wants to go to Germany is because they're very open there, much more open than other nations. And they can find a place. And I said, well, how long is it going to take you to get to Germany? And he said, well, if everything works okay with the Greek courts, it's going to take me about two years to get there. And I'm thinking, two years here? And what about your wife and your, and your other child? And she said, well, they're still back in Iraq. And, and here's the thing. She's going to have a baby tomorrow. And I thought, what kind of, what kind of hope does this guy have? I mean, he, he's just trying to get to Germany. And his, his wife and 
his, 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 his child and how another new child is there. And so Kevin Donnelly, who one of the guys on our team, he came up and he said, Pastor, won't we pray for this guy? I was like, absolutely. And we, we prayed for him and we prayed for his, his wife and he prayed for her protection and we prayed for the delivery of their baby, that the baby would be healthy and that one day he'd be able to be reunited with them. And maybe it was in Germany, we prayed that Jesus would reveal himself, maybe through, through a vision or through the people that would come, that Jesus would... Would, would show him his great love and his great forgiveness and his great mercy and that he would understand that he is not alone, that we have come to pray for him and that there are, peop- there are people that were with us that came from Athens who are ministering, these incredible young men who God has raised up of different ethnic groups, that God is raising up a movement among these men who have come to Athens as refugees. God has saved them, and now God is sending them out to places like this refugee camp for the gospel to move forward. It's an amazing thing when you look at these people and what God is doing, but when you look at John and you see this village, one thing came to mind, and that is incredible hopelessness. Hopelessness. And now you have a picture of what the children of Israel or what the people of Judah in Jeremiah 29 were feeling as they have been moved into Babylon. As Nebuchadnezzar has come in and humiliated them, he's wiped out the temple. He has made a mockery of their God. He has taken the king and he has taken the, the leaders and the priests. He has taken the key folks and he's, he's, he's moved them over to Babylon. So this week we'll read the story of Daniel. Daniel taken over, over to Babylon and now here they are in this city of Babylon, this evil, evil, wicked city. And they don't understand how in the world God could let something like this happen to them. But here is what we know for sure from our text this morning is this, that God has sent them into exile. God has sent them there. It says that that God sent them in in the early portion of chapter 29. It says again, when Jeremiah begins writing in verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent there. So God has a purpose in moving them there. And we understand this from the preceding chapters, that this purpose that he raised up Nebuchadnezzar for was to correct, that his holiness now was going to be seen through this global tool called Nebuchadnezzar. And the people were going to be taken captive and he was going to be true to his word in correcting them because of their sin. God has sent them into exile. But here's the beautiful thing. As God has sent them to exile, he is not going to abandon them. And this is the beauty of this letter. This letter reminds them that God is not totally forgetting his people, that he does indeed have a purpose and he does indeed have a future for them and he does indeed have a plan for them, not only for the future, but for then as well. And so this people who perhaps feel abandoned or condemned or forgotten or overwhelmed or guilty, wherever they are, they have been sent to this place for God to work on them. What about you this morning? Where has God sent you? To what place 
Do you now go and sit and operate and work and move? Where are you in your life right now? And it is a place where you think it is a, a place of discouragement and being overwhelmed and despondency and guilt and being condemned and forgotten and abandoned. It's a place where you sense that God is not here. Understand this. God has sent you here for a purpose. What is the purpose and what is God's plan? Well, a couple of things from our text this morning. Number one, here's what God tells them, beginning in verse four. Invest where you are. Live your life where you are to the glory of God. Invest in your place of exile because you're sent here for a purpose. God tells them, build houses. He says, uh, make gardens, raise your kids, find for them wives, have grandchildren. In other words, God is saying to them, listen, you're not to stand still in the place that God has sent you. It is easy for you to be paralyzed, but you're not to stand still. You're to invest in this place. You're to invest in this city. You're to find a realtor, he says to the children of Israel. You're to find a realtor. You're to build a home. You're to add on to the home. It was amazing when you were walking through this camp. Some of the people had found some wood and they had put up these wooden frames coming off the end of their home. What were they doing? They were building additions to their shelters because more people were coming. Here's the mentality. Listen, you are here for a reason. You have been sent here, yes, for correction by God, but also so that the people around you can see the redeeming hand of God in a people where the grass is not greener over there or the grass is not so brown and dark underneath me. I will live in contentment in seeing the redeeming hand of God through me as I invest in this city. This is what they were to do in Babylon. Get a realtor, put addition on the home, make a garden, take the kids to the little league, get them through school, have them graduate, find wives if you, and husbands if you're single, have children if you can, raise those children, see them married off. But wherever you are, Understand this, you have been sent there by God, yes, for correction, but also to display the faithfulness and the goodness of God. We saw this in, in Greece when our other part of our trip, really the main part of our trip, was to work in this little community center, if you will, in Athens, in a very, very busy part of the city. It was called the Oasis. And it's a place that housed a church for one of the people groups, but also it became a place as we worked on it over time. And man, when we worked, we worked, we were scraping paint off the floors. We were putting up drywall. We were painting the walls. We were cleaning stuff. We were getting rooms ready. And the purpose of this center was for a church uh, that would meet on Sundays, but for small groups and Bible studies and leadership development and discipleship training and for the team there from the company to, to operate there. And so we worked awfully hard in this community center, but the joy, the joy of working in this center were these men who had come from these other nations and these other people groups, and they had come and they had found Jesus, and Jesus had changed their life, but they can't go back home. They can't go back home because they'll be killed. So we're sitting there at lunch one day, and, and, and I asked them, I said, could you ever go back home? And they said, no. 
Because the context in which we live in, um, for a Muslim to come to faith in Jesus and to go back home and to share the gospel and have a church would be killed. And so they scrolled through their phone and they started showing us a pictures of people from, from their people group who were pastors who were literally hanging up. The, the authorities had caught them and had hung them up for the city, for the community, for the villages to see this is what will happen to you as a Muslim if you convert. We can't go back home. But here's what they're doing. They're refugees. They've come to Athens, found their way, found Jesus. And here's what they're doing. Now they're investing their lives. They have been sent there. They're not in exile in Athens. They have been sent there to do what? To, to understand the scriptures and to be trained and then to be sent out to their people group across the city or in other nations where they're able to share the gospel. And here's the amazing thing. Here's what God does. These nations that you can't get into, these, these countries that are so close to the gospel, God is creating a movement of these people to escape these countries and to come to places like Athens and to come to places like Ger nations like Germany and Italy and and France, and England, and these other European countries. You know what God is doing? God is moving people away from closed, hard countries into a place where these people who have been sent, who are refugees, who are in exile, if you will, instead what is happening, the nations are coming to them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. And they're investing. They're just saying for the, for the welfare of the city of Athens, for the welfare of the communities that I live in, I now am going to invest and I'm now going to build the city. And the peace, the shalom, it says in the Hebrew text, the peace of this city and of this community, this peace will become my peace. As you were worshiping here on Sunday, rather you were seven hours behind us. As we were worshiping ahead of you last Sunday, in this beautiful community, in this place where I had the privilege to preach from, from, from the book of Psalms and have, have this interpreter to, to this Persian community, the joy of hearing these men whom God has brought from the other nations come and sing with all of their hearts. These people were not refugees who were in despair. These people were not refugees without hope because they have said, we will now invest and we will now redeem this place for the glory of of God, they could come together and sing to the top of their lungs their praises to God for what he was doing. It was absolutely amazing. So where are you? What situation do you find yourself in? And this is hard. This isn't easy. This isn't easy. A couple of things. In our text that Lori read, Jeremiah said, listen, listen, I, I want you to hear, exiles, that you have some people among you that are that, that they're prophets, but they're false prophets. Because here's what they're saying to you. They're saying to you, God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't put you in a hard place. God wouldn't put you in a difficult place. God, here's what some of the prophets were saying. Uh, back in Jerusalem, this one guy named Hananiah shows up in the temple. He gathers everyone together and he says, listen, here's the deal. Jeremiah thinks he speaks for the Lord. Well, I speak for the Lord. Here's the deal. We're, those guys are coming back here in two years. The king and everybody, they're all coming back here in two years. Jeremiah says, absolutely not. I wish it were so. I wish that the people could come back. I wish they wouldn't be there for 70 years. But you know what? That's not true. 
Back in Babylon, people were telling him, hey, this is going to be easy. Peace and security is right around the bend. God wouldn't do this to us. God, God wouldn't allow us to kind of hang out here for 70 years. I mean, what's the point of that? For 70 years. And Jeremiah says, no, I wish it were true. I wish you could come home. But you know what? God has his purposes. And he wants you to build houses and have children and have grandchildren and be a people distinct for the glory of God in the place where you are right now till he is done with you. He'll do his work. But then second of all, Here's what God says to us, I believe, through his word this morning. It's this. Trust in his wisdom. In his wisdom that appears aimless and unfair, but is filled with purpose and hope. Trust in his wisdom that appears sometimes that it's aimless. What God is doing is unfair, but it's filled with purpose and hope. Pick it up in verse 10 the letter that Jeremiah writes, he says this, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, now that's a long time, that's a lifetime, but when it's done, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, to Jerusalem. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And then you'll call upon me and you'll come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. Trust in God's wisdom that appears aimless and unfair, but is very purposeful and it's filled with hope. It would be easy for these people, as I read through this text on the plane coming home, it would be easy for me to say, God, you've waited 330 years since the divided kingdom to make a move. Why me? Why are you choosing me and my family to be carried off into exile? Why are you choosing me and my family to, 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 to suffer in a new land to me? It's not fair. Why this long, God? Couldn't you prove your point in a different way? Why a whole lifetime, God? There are many of those people. Think of this. There are many of those people, if they're 40 or they're 50 years old, they're going to go to Babylon. They're never coming home again. There are many of those people who, who, will, who will never again experience the joys of Jerusalem and being the people of God. And it would be easy to look at God's actions and say, 70 years, God, why, why then? God, if you're going to do that, if you're going to bring them back after they've been in Babylon that long, just leave them there. And it appears that sometimes when God moves, his actions are aimless, and it moves, sometimes that they're unfair. But here is what we have to understand as God speaks to us through his word this morning. He says that in verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you. Plans that are filled with a future and a hope. In the Hebrew text, in the original text, when God says, I know the plans that I have for you. It's a verse that we say all the time. It's a hopeful verse. It's a promise. It's a wonderful promise. It's an encouragement to us. 
But when God says that verse, when God speaks that in the original Hebrew, he uses the word I two times at the beginning of the text. In other words, he is emphasizing something. He is saying, listen, I know you might be questioning why this long. I know you might be questioning why me, but you have to trust me. I know, I know what you need more than you know. I know the plans that I have for you. And the plans that I have for you are for your well-being. They're for your good. They're not evil plans. And you're sitting in captivity and you might think there is no way God is going to be able to work this out for his good. But God is saying, you have to trust me. I love what one of the writers said when the commentators I read this week. He says, events that look like total disaster and humiliation in your life, in the life of your church, may wear a very different aspect with the benefit of human hindsight. How much more will they look different than with the wisdom of heaven? What God is doing, he is simply asking you to trust, to go through the 70 years to the end, to hang on to him when you can't hang on any longer, to understand that his wisdom and his design and his desires for your life are for things well beyond you could ever imagine for you, and they're for your good, and the good is defined by the word of God is simply this in Romans chapter 8, all things, all difficulty, all suffering, all captivity for 70 years, all exile, periods of exile, work together for good. And the good in Romans chapter 8 isn't necessarily having all of our stuff back. The good of Romans chapter 8 is not necessarily the good of, of peace and prosperity and health all the time. The good of Romans chapter 8 is simply this, for you to be conformed, to become like Jesus himself. And this is what he's after when he corrects us, when he takes us through difficult times to be conformed to the image of his son. I love the story that Tim Keller tells in his book, Walking with God Through Suffering. How it fits into this notion of understanding that God always has our good in his mind and in his heart. He always has this wisdom, this sense of, of wisdom for us, what we need, when we need it. And Keller writes about the British shepherds that would often take their sheep and their rams. And there would come a point in time where they knew they would have to, to take care of them. And they would, they would bring them to this dipping trough and this huge vat that would be filled with antiseptic liquid. And the shepherd would take the sheep and the ram and he would cover his ears, his eyes, and he would cover his ears, and he'd pick them up, and he'd take them, and he'd dump them into the vat. 
and the sheep would be frightened and begin to, you can imagine, the, it would begin to, to move and, and the sheep dogs would be on the side and they would bite and they would bark to make sure that the sheep would stay down. And meanwhile, the shepherd's got the eyes and the ears covered and he's just got him underneath in that trough completely till that liquid washes over that sheep. And when he's done, he, he, he picks him up and he puts him puts him out and he lets him run. And as terrifying an experience as it is for the sheep, without the sheep going through the trough, they would become victims of parasites and disease and death. The dunking of the sheep in the trough is actually for their good. God sometimes sends you to a place that is for your good. And he keeps you down and he keeps you under. For 70 years, he would keep the people there, but he would never leave them. He would say, this is for your good. And the beautiful thing about the prophets and what we've been reading in our reading plan, the beautiful stories of Isaiah and Jeremiah, as condemning and as judgmental as they can appear, as they speak the word of God to the people, what I love about them just as much is that they come in and they say, but your God has not abandoned you. Your God is is your God loves you and your God has plans for you. Your God has hope for you if you will do what is the third and final thing in our text this morning. Pursue him with all of your heart and let him unfold his plan for your good and his glory. Jeremiah says, God says through Jeremiah, verse 12, you'll call upon me let me read this passage, and I did it early this morning. Let me read this passage, and I'm going to emphasize God, the pronouns for God, for me and I. And here is this sense that God is saying, listen, I know you're in captivity. I know you want to go home. I know you want your fortunes restored. I know you want the temple back up. I know you want all of these things. But you know what? I want you to want me, then you want all of these other things. And maybe that's just the point of captivity is that you get to the point where everything else is stripped away and all you've got is God. But listen to what God says. Listen to his word this morning. Then you will call upon me, and you will come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you will seek me, and you will find me, and when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes. And I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you to exile. Do you get the point? The point of our exile is not ourselves. The point of our exile is pursuing God. And so this morning, here's what I would say to you as a follower of Jesus. If you're at a place where you're feeling that your captivity and the weight of bondage or the weight of discouragement or condemnation or guilt or wherever it might be, and you might think, when will this ever end? I urge you, just pursue God with all of your heart this morning. Come to him and, he'll find, and he will be found by you and he will help you and he will walk with you and he will move with you as the prophets promised through that point of captivity. He will not abandon you and when it is done, whenever that is, whenever that time is done, he will do what is right to make things right in your life. 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, listen, here's a beautiful picture for you this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the children of Israel who have been sent over into captivity in Babylon, they are experienced both the judgment of God because of their sinfulness, but they are also understanding that they are now the sent ones by God for the rest of the nations. And this is a beautiful picture of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has been sent by God to this place called earth. For 33 years, he was exiled here. He was contained in a human body. He was, he was here on earth living just like us with flesh, just like us and hungry and thirsty. And he didn't sin, but nevertheless, your sin and my sin the sins that we commit every single day, the sins that we were born into the world with inside of us, all of those sins were placed on this man named Jesus who took our judgment upon him. He took our sin upon him on the cross so that, so that we could be forgiven and we could be free. But Jesus also not only serves as the one who bears your judgment and mine, he also serves as the sent one, the one who has been sent to declare the good news. And so that when we come to faith in Christ, when we accept the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are both forgiven and we are cleared and we are no longer guilty because our sin has been placed on him. But then we have been sent. We have been liberated. We have been freed to share this good news with other people. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel this morning. And for those of you who do not know Christ, I point you to him. I point you to this picture of the gospel there in Babylon of a people suffering judgment but yet never abandoned and eventually set free. And maybe this could be your story as well. The judgment of God released from you, forgiven, full of mercy and grace, but also you've now been sent. You are now free. Oh, what a beautiful gospel. This is what this letter does for us. This is what this letter does for the people of God. May it be used in your life this week to transform and to change you into all that God has designed for you to be. Will you pray with me now? Lord, we love you and we love your words so much and we love your story and we love your kingdom. And we just pray this morning that your word would settle and saturate into the hearts of those that are followers of Christ, that they would respond in a way in which they would understand where they are and what you're doing in their life. And even if they can't fully comprehend it and understand it, they trust. And then, Father, they pursue. They pursue with all of their hearts. They pursue you, a relationship with you, not just what you can do for them, and then, Father, for the one who is not a believer this morning, I, I simply ask that your Holy Spirit, who does the work of conviction, who does the work of bringing people to Jesus, that your Holy Spirit works and speaks in such a way where they begin to understand the judgment that hangs over them, but the judgment that has been removed because of Christ. And that when they see Christ, Father, they'll run to him 
for forgiveness and mercy and eternal life and a new beginning. Father, hear our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.